seated. Today is something of a complicated day. Just saying the date, September 11th, can elicit memories of where each of us found ourselves on the morning of September 11th, 2001. I was the rector of a parish in West Roxbury, Massachusetts. And I had spent the morning in the rectory in silence and in prayer as I readied myself for the day I anticipated it would be. Of course, only to walk into the parish office where my parish administrator sat watching a television set with the first images of planes hitting the north and south towers of the World Trade Center. I had been in and out of the North Tower many times in my young life, as a place known as Windows on the World had been among the restaurant group of my father's, business, his, my, my father's company. Windows on the World at the time of the terrorist attacks was a complex of meeting spaces, entertainment spaces, and a restaurant that occupied the 106th and 107th floors in the North Tower. To say that the view was awesome was and still is completely inadequate. And as I watched the towers collapse, I could only imagine the lives of the people who themselves, like me, were preparing for a day like most other days. I mention this on this Sunday because not all of us have lived through those days or weeks or months and years now since that September 11th, 2001, with the same set of images seared into our consciousness. It is a date that will live on, marked in history books, in lives of families who lost so many loved ones, and etched in some of our memories with images that we saw firsthand. Whatever your memory, experience, or frame of reference for this day, I invite you to hold it gently, tenderly, patiently, as we collect ourselves in prayer and in the sacred circle of community here at Church of Reconciliation. Our life as reconcilers, in the name of Christ, instill this suffering, violent, and hurting world makes a claim on our lives this day and in all days to come. And as we watch the images around the globe, but on the memory and hold the grief and the hearts full of gratitude for such an inspiring witness as Queen Elizabeth II lived a life of servanthood for all of her people, May we come to understand also the place in our hearts that can hold both grief and gratitude mysteriously at the same time. And we come here to this beautiful sanctuary this morning to offer worship and praise to the creator of all on the second Sunday of the season of creation, 2022. Recently, I read an article about the essential value of the season of creation, and the author writes this. For centuries, our theology, our ethics, and our worship have been oriented in only two dimensions, our relationship with God 
and our human relationships with one another. Now it is long overdue to turn our attention to God's relationship with all creation and our relationship with the creation itself. And not only that, but our relationship to the Creator lived through our relationship, just and unjust, with all of creation. As the followers of Jesus who dare to refer to the Church as the body of Christ, we must include this third dimension of relationship that literally, literally grounds us to creation itself to include the earth herself as the very body of Christ and beyond earth to the far reaches of galaxies, suns, and the planets in their courses. We connect ourselves to the waters of holy baptism when we say in the burial rite, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, even at the grave we make our song. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. On Tuesday at our staff meeting, and then again in Bible study on Tuesday afternoon, we discussed the appointed readings from the lectionary for today. To a person, we commented not only on the richness of perspectives among the Hebrew scripture, the psalm, the epistle, and the gospel, we were drawn into the integral message of healing and hope, of mercy and restoration, of divine love and transformation included in each one of the texts. It reminds us that we and all creation are worthy and beloved creatures called to a life, a life of holy communion, to lives not only worthy of repentance, but of Eucharistic witness in the joy and the gratitude of being gifted with such magnificent beauty, not only around us, but within each and every one of us. Another writer I read this week said it this way, something is unfolding in me that does not demand knowledge, but invites wisdom. I want to commit myself to a discipline of presence to the Creator in word, in nature, and in my inmost being. In the generous light of grace, we can begin to see glory everywhere. Something is unfolding in me that does not demand knowledge, but invites wisdom. That is the place where I invite you to join me this morning, in the place of desire and commitment and passion to a discipline of presence before the Creator. My hope is in doing so that you and I will be drawn into the wellspring of divine creativity, finding within ourselves and in one another the seeds of grace that can restore and heal this hurting world. The gift of divine creativity is also found in the extraordinary beauty of our new season of creation stoles, as well as the altar and pulpit hangings, envisioned by Sam Gilliam and Janet Floor and gloriously created by Janet's own hands, 
this awesome nature of the gifts of creation are set before us in images extraordinaire. Creativity reveals more than we know or imagine about the world and ourselves. And it opens for us a glimpse of the very nature of the creator in whose image and likeness we are each made. We are so much more than we think of ourselves. There is so much divine creativity that is seated in each and every one of our hearts for us to explore and risk discovering. And this is what today is all about. Will you risk, no matter how old or how young or what circumstances in your life you find yourself, will you risk discovering a bit more of the seeds of creativity that are sown in your hearts? In the first reading, you can certainly hear the lament of the prophet Jeremiah and, and the frustration of the divine. Human actions have destructive and deadly consequences among those named. Depopulated earth in the absence of birds, the destabilization of the hills, and the cosmic consequences of foolishness and evil. Let's face it, we know these well. God's judgment, though, is not like that of humans. It is not meant to be humiliating and hopeless, but divine judgment, that is, the naming of the consequences of human evil, of human foolishness, is meant to be heard as an invitation to repent and change our ways on behalf of living as stewards of creation. In the epistle, we are offered a glimpse into the power of divine love's mercy, that meets the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road and frees him from the grip of human ignorance and sin. In Paul's story is rooted our own. Just as in the Eucharistic prayer see that we will celebrate today from our Book of Common Prayer, we hear these words. Again and again, you call us to return. Again and again, you call us to return. As we are invited to a Eucharistic feast to which all creation is welcome to rejoice. We put the limits on God's forgiveness, but God's forgiveness is boundless. And again and again, God calls us to return. And rejoicing is at the heart of the gospel text today. The nature of the divine in the parables of the shepherd and the woman who seek after the one lost coin is to reassure, reassure us that we too are worthy of being sought after and found by God time and time again. This gospel invites us to see ourselves and one another as cherished ones, as those so beloved by the creator that we are always found and restored in even deeper and more intimate relationship with the divine than we could have imagined possible. This God who seeks after us, who knows our name and our willingness, and sometimes, let's face it, even our unwillingness to be found, but welcomes us home. 
Each of these readings also invites us to be attentive to nurture the gifts of creativity we have been given and our willingness to offer them with generosity and joy for the life of the whole created order. This message of worthiness, of belonging, of accountability, of creativity and stewardship, of love and intimacy is at the heart of Mary Oliver's poem, Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of our, your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Who you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Today, my friends, as we find ourselves reminded of the divine's infinite and boundless love, may we listen attentively to the voice of love, calling us ever more deeply to receiving and offering love to this hurting world. May we risk discovering the creativity that is God's in our lives, meant to be offered generously, always in our lives. And like the prophet, or the potter, or the gardener, or the shepherd, or the woman with the lost coin, those images of the nature of God, God's self, may we be the singers of songs, the harbingers of hope and healing, the planters of blossoms and beauty. And may we be the stewards of creation, discovering the seeds of divine creativity and willing to risk everything for the sake of irrepressible joy and boundless love as you and I take our humble, humble place in the family of things. Amen.